you look at the scriptures this morning. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are grateful. Every, every week we get to gather in your presence to be in this school, uh, to be part of what you're doing in this neighborhood. Lord, we pause in our week to acknowledge you, to worship you, to bring our gifts in offering to you, to listen to you, to be taught by you. God, just to be in your presence together is a gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're in this teaching conversation, teaching series that's simply called The Bible. Practice with me, will you? It has to end with a question. Don't say it as a statement. On three, ready? One, two, three. The Bible? All right. And the question, Mark, as you have already figured out in the last three weeks, is intentional because we want to encourage questions about the Bible at Mill City Church. Okay? That might seem really obvious to some of you, but it's not obvious to everybody in this room. We want to encourage questions about the Bible at Mill City Church. Steph and I and some of the other pastors, we've had lots of conversations with many of you who have said, I have a question about the Bible, and I'm pretty sure I might be the only person who's asking this question. And after like three coffees with some, three different people who all think they have this original question, you start to say, wow, maybe one of the feelings of people in our church is that folks have questions about the Bible uh, or about particular parts of the Bible, and they, they don't want to ask them with, in public settings or in small groups, or they're maybe thinking that they're the only person who's thinking about this or questioning this. Uh, but we've been in enough of those conversations to be able to say back to you, lots of you have questions about the Bible, and on the whole, we think that's a really good thing. I don't know if some of you grew up in religious contexts where questions were frowned upon. Some of you were. I know you were. Um, but if we don't have questions and we don't have the opportunity to seek answers, then we can't grow. Okay? Any perspective on life that requires you to unquestionably follow is dangerous. Jesus consistently used questions in his teaching. Far more times than not, he would answer people's questions with another question. And sometimes when you read stories like that about what he was saying, you think, why doesn't he just explain this to them? But he doesn't. He just leaves questions out there. He lets them hang sometimes and just allows people to wonder about what the answers might be. So what we're hoping, we know this isn't always true, but what we're hoping for Mill City Church is that it could be a safe place to ask the questions you have without feeling immediate judgment by anybody else with one condition, okay? I want to put one condition on this. And the one condition is that we have to honestly want to know the answer to the question, okay? There is a difference between people who want to ask questions just to stir up trouble or to make a point and don't really care about the answer, and folks who honestly want to know the answer to a question. We want to be people who value questions and also value answers to questions, okay? That's our aspiration as a church, and sometimes we're good at it and sometimes we're not good at it, but let's keep going together and try to get better at it. I remember this Sunday school teacher I had back when there was Sunday school, and we just named it something different now, right? It's called the Quipping Hour, much cooler. We had, I had this Sunday school teacher when I was 14, 15, 16 years old. And um, he kind of took over. Our youth group was kind of a mess. And 
he decided the content of our Sunday morning conversations were just going to be determined by our questions. So every week the topic was just whatever question we gave him the week before. And he didn't always know a ton about the topic, but he really did a good job of coming with some structure for helping us address our questions or point to resources that could help us answer our questions. And my experience in those few years with, with this guy named Dave, who just stepped up because there was a need, radically changed my perspective on Christian faith. Because, you know, the first little bit of my life, I really got this sense, like, you're supposed to believe these things, and you're never supposed to ask any questions, and if you do, somebody knows, but they might not tell you. And it was real hard, and I'm a thinker, so I got to that point in my life, and I desperately needed to ask these questions. And someone came and said, that's okay, let's ask him, and let's see if we can find some answers to the questions. And I would say from that point on, the last 30 years of my life have been a series of asking question after question after question. Another question leads to another question, and you find out something, and you learn something, and you grow, but you just keep asking questions. And one of my good friends in this church, Leland Eliason, who's a pastor for two decades and led the seminary here for 15 years, one of the things I love about him in his mid-70s is that he'll show up to a coffee meeting with a new question. He'll say, here's what I'm wondering about now. Man, if all of us could be lifelong learners in our faith that way, assuming there's always going to be things we don't know but that we need to seek answers for, that's what vibrant faith looks like from my perspective. And so today, the question that I want to address with you, if we're asking questions as a church, is simply, why do we read the Bible? We can talk all about whether the Bible is trustworthy or not, and how it got put together, and why there's certain aspects of violence in it, and who God is, and all sorts of other questions. But if we don't have a value for reading it at all, then those are kind of moot points. So I want to talk today about why we read the Bible, but I want to start with a description of how people are actually engaging the Bible in American culture right now, okay? So there's several studies on this. One of them I found on the American Bible Society website. I think it's just AmericanBible.org if you're interested. They have some cool infographics. They do a study every year. They just call um, the state of the Bible. And in 2018, here are some of the stats that they came up with. This one was amazing to me. 82% of Americans, whether they're Christians or not, 82% of Americans have a Bible in their house. Eight out of ten people have a Bible in their house regardless of their religious background. Isn't that incredible? 57% of people in 2018 said that they wish they read the Bible more. Over half of people in the U.S. said, we think we should read the Bible more. Now here's another breakdown on how people are actually engaging the Bible. So a third of the people in this study said that they engage the Bible in some form weekly. Either they read it every day, they read it several times a week, or they read it like once a week. But some form, every week, they're engaging the Bible. That's like a third of people in the U.S. Then there's another third of people in the U.S. who engage it very sporadically. Like three times a year, four times a year, once a year. Sometime during a year, they would say they open the Bible, but it's very sporadic, very inconsistent. Then there's a third of people in the U.S. who want nothing to do with the Bible, don't ever read the Bible, don't think it's relevant. So you have this really interesting breakdown, right? third of people who are fairly consistent, third of people who are kind of like, yeah, I open it once in a while, third of people who don't want to do it, have, have anything to do with it. They also have this piece on the website where they did a test recently, whether or not people could tell the difference between a saying was from Jesus or Han Solo. 
seemed really critical. So I know this is like a shaming potential situation, so don't feel like you have to participate. This is voluntary, okay? I want to give you the same test they gave people on the website, Mill City. See if you know if this saying is from Jesus or Han Solo. Are you ready? Can you handle it? Okay, I'm counting on you, Ramon. All right, here we go. The saying is, you are from this world, but I am not from this world. Raise your hand if you think it's Jesus. All right, my calculations are, okay, raise your hand if you think it's Han Solo. All right, it was from Jesus. Book of John. Want to know the stats? 48% of people knew it was Jesus in the U.S., the whole of the U.S. 78% of churchy Bible people knew that it was Jesus and not Han Solo. I think it's a little misleading because they don't give you the whole quote. So if you got it wrong, don't feel bad. But it seems like it would be a good goal for us to know whether Jesus said it or Han Solo said it, right? That seems like a pretty low bar that we ought to be able to overcome. Last little bit from the study, uh, most people, I can't remember the percentage, it was upper 70s or 80%, said, look, I can't make it through the day, I could make it through the day without reading my Bible, I can't make it through the day without coffee. Impossible. So coffee, Bible, in terms of survival, that's where we are as, as a country. Um, I know in our church, we have people across the spectrum, some of you are very diligent and passionate about reading your Bible every morning, every evening, or at noontime, whenever you have the chance. A lot of you use different apps on your phone to go through different readings. That's amazing. Some of you follow the Moravian text, which we've encouraged here at Mill City. Others of you, I know, maybe you've read the Bible in your life, and it's been a while since you opened your Bible. Maybe um, you're not reading your Bible right now consistently because you feel like you don't have time. Maybe it's because uh, you don't know, you think it's too hard to read. You don't always understand what you read, and it doesn't seem worth it. Maybe there's some question mark in you about whether or not the Bible's reliable or not, and that makes it hard for you to read. Maybe some of us have some baggage from the way the Bible has been used in your experience to harm people or to judge people or in some other inappropriate way, and that makes it hard for you to read. Wherever you're coming from, whether you read the Bible on the whole, uh, regularly or whether it's something that you're doing once in a while or not at all, my, my argument today, my encouragement for you today is that we, we really do need to read the scripture together in order to live out the life that God has in mind and grow in our relationship with God, okay? So I want to start by taking a look at one reason why Jesus says we should read the Bible. This is Jesus, not Han Solo, just to be clear. John chapter 5, if you have a Bible, or it'll be on the screen for you. Here's a little bit of background on this text we're going to read. So Jesus is under fire in this setting, where the religious leaders are upset with him. They are persecuting him. They're trying to find ways to accuse him of things. They're plotting to kill him. They're just trying to find any way to kind of get at him and discredit him. And he's trying to defend himself. He's offering different ways to um, help people to trust what he's saying. In this particular text that I'm going to read to you, he's giving four different reasons why what he says is authoritative, why it counts, why it's from God. 
So here's what he says in the middle of his kind of rebuttal back to these religious leaders. He says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. So I've done some things that let you know who I am. The Father himself has told you who I am and that you can trust me. Then he goes on to say, You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. Here's the verse I want to focus on today. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Just leave that scripture up there for a little while if you would. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, but you refuse to come to me to have life. Okay, so Jesus is defending himself. He says, look, God the Father has spoken over me at my baptism. I've done miracles. John has, has vouched for me, and the scriptures point to me. And I'm, I'm focusing on the scriptural part of his argument here, of his evidence for why you should trust him. Can you imagine, think about it this way, can you imagine being an expert in a field? Let's pick, um, like, uh, personal health, okay? Let's say you were an expert in, in a personal health field, and you know a ton about eating well, you know how to avoid gluten and dairy and sugar and whatever other things there are that we're supposed to be avoiding, broccoli, okay? You know how to avoid the things that are bad. You know the value of exercise. You know how to manage your finances well. You know how to deal with stress appropriately. You're an expert in the field of personal health, all right? You, you got that knowledge down. You don't apply any of it to your actual life, okay? You've got a website, people call you, they ask you for advice, but you don't do any of it. You don't actually live that way. In many ways, that's what Jesus is saying to these folks. Look, you've become experts in the, the law, right? The, the instructions. You're, you're an expert in the instructions. But you refuse to accept where the instructions are pointing you towards. Because the point of the scriptures is to lead you to me. They're not an end in and of themselves, they're a means by which you're supposed to find me and to find life. Now, this word life that he uses here in the original language doesn't mean like the length of life, like the chronology of your life. It doesn't mean that. It means the intensity of your life, like the depth and the quality of your life. So the scriptures point to me, he's saying, so you can find real depth and meaning and purpose forgiveness, mercy, relationship with God, to find the life that God has in mind for you to live. You're refusing to come to me, and you're arguing with me based on what you know about the instructions or the law. For these folks, Jesus is saying, the law has become more important to you than the thing the law points to, which is relationship with the loving God. Okay? So now you can see some parallel problems that we have right now with the Bible. 
Because sometimes in some communities or some individuals, they have elevated the Bible so high and the arguments about the Bible are infinitely more important to them than the thing the Bible is pointing to, which is life, relationship with God in Jesus Christ. So the, the best way I know how to say this is when the church, when Christians treat things that God intends to be a means, a, a conduit, like a pass-through, when we treat things that are supposed to be a means as an end in and of themselves, like we've done it if we get the right interpretation of the Bible and everyone agrees with us, then we're good. Then we miss the whole point of the instrument, the tool that God has given to us, which is, no, you don't have the right interpretation. That's not the end. The end is relationship and life with God and Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, look, you don't get it at all. You have totally missed the point. Even though you've memorized all of the Torah, you missed the thing that the Torah points to, which is life in me. Sometimes I say the church, when we treat the church like uh, an end instead of means, it becomes like a stinky pond. What a good analogy, right? Have you ever, have you ever seen a stinky pond in the state of Minnesota? It's one of those ponds where water goes in somehow, but can't find its way out. More like a swamp, maybe. So you get into this pond, and because there's no way out, there's no way for the water to turn over, it smells terrible. Weird things grow on the top. It's stagnant. It's really hard for life to thrive. When the church thinks of itself as an end, when church becomes the point, instead of the people of God realizing that God is blessing us with relationship and mercy and forgiveness in order that that would flow through us out into the world so that more people would know who God is and what Jesus has done for them, then we become like a stinky pond, okay? And the Bible is the same. When, when the point of our arguments as Christians in different churches or traditions is to be right and show that our interpretation is better than the other person's, then we can easily become a stinky pond. And the Bible can become a stinky pond because nobody in the world cares about those arguments unless they allow blessing to flow through us out into the lives of other people and proclaim the love of Jesus to those folks. So we just desperately need... Okay, here's a, here's a quotable, tweetable thing. We just desperately need to not be a stinky pond. Does it? Seems kind of obvious. Here's a summary of this. Of this, um, I wanted to say today that I think when you answer the question, why read the Bible, one way to say it is just that there should always be a so that in the middle of the answer. Okay? So here's one from this text. We should read the Bible so that we find life, we find life through relationship with Jesus. The so that helps us remember that the reading of the Bible is not an end, right? We don't read the Bible so that we know the Bible. We don't read the Bible so that we can argue with people. We know the Bible so that we can find this depth of life that Jesus is offering to us. Okay, second example. We're going to move to 2 Timothy in a text that many of you have heard a lot about. Um, second so that, if you will. The background to this Timothy text is that uh, Paul is authoring this book 
to Timothy, one of his disciples, the person he's mentored, and he's encouraging him to keep going in the face of adversity. All right? And in the, towards the end of his letter to him, he's, uh, here's how he's encouraging him. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here's the oft-quoted verse when this topic comes up about the Bible, questions about the Bible. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you see the so that right in that, in that verse? All right, let's talk about it for a second. So Paul's writing this to Timothy, and the first part of verse uh, 17 there is, or 16, sorry. All Scripture is God-breathed, which means in the original language, God inspired it. God helped create it. God used people to help write it down. And it's useful for teaching. It's trustworthy. It means the Bible's trustworthy. It means it's true. It means it's inspired. It means we can trust that it doesn't have errors in it. There are volumes and volumes and volumes of arguments about this God-breathed part. What does inspiration mean? What does infallibility mean? All these big theological words, right? I want to say it real simply. I think it just means you can trust what the people who have mentored you and coached you and taught you about Jesus said to you that it's right, that it's true, that if you follow the, the leading of it, you'll find life, like Jesus said. Then it goes on to say, so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, so now here's where the emphasis of Mill City's discipleship focus and theology come in, right? Because at Mill City, we're always saying, what is it that God's doing, and how can we join in with what God's doing? So when I read this text and I say, well, how does the Bible fit into those two questions? What I see it saying is, look, the Bible is one of the places where you can go and find out what God is doing so that you can be prepared to join in the things that God invites you to join in on. So one of the reasons why we're reading the Bible is so that we can be equipped, we can be prepared, so we have a clue when opportunities come along to love our community in the name of Jesus. It's hard to be equipped if we're not reading the story of God and recognizing our place in that story and, and knowing the character of God and the things that God cares about. Sometimes it seems like we're arguing way more about what it means for the scripture to be inspired than we are about what it means that we're, or what it is we're supposed to be equipped for. I found way more books in the library about the God-breathed part than the what we're supposed to be equipped for part. People didn't write, want to write about that. Where I think, when you think about it from the perspective of the 52% of people who aren't reading the Bible at all, they just want to know, why does any of this matter to my real life? So the equipped to do the work that God prepared in us advanced for us to do is way more important to them. And if we're listening to Scripture it ought to produce in us a willingness and a desire to go out 
and participate in the thing that God is doing. So here's another statement for you. We read the Bible so that we can be ready to join God's work. We read the Bible to find life in Jesus, and we read the Bible so we can be ready to join God's work. Those are at least two reasons why we read the Bible. Now, let me say one thing about this God-breathed, inspired uh, piece. I think some of these discussions are really important because we have to be able to trust the Bible, all right? But here's kind of what's happening. We're entering into a, a time of life we all live in where we have access to way more perspectives on things than we ever had before, okay? And it's freaking people out. It probably freaking you out. freaks me out a little bit too. And the reason it freaks us out is because we're having a hard time figuring out how do you know which perspective to validate and trust and which one to get rid of, right? You, you, can't ju- you don't have to just come here and listen to me on a Sunday. You can go home and listen to any sermon from anywhere in the world you want, and 99% of those people will be much better than me. No. Oh, there you go. Jeez. Um, but here, here, so here's what I want to say. I think the multiple perspectives that we have access to have the potential to increase our confidence in the reliability of Scripture and the trustworthy of Scripture, not decrease it. Here's why. I could go to the. I went to the library one day this week. I could pull perspectives from Hispanic scholars, Ethiopian scholars, uh, Far East Asian scholars, European scholars. Uh, North American scholar. I, I could pull perspectives from anywhere in the world I wanted to right off the shelf. And I can sit down and say, okay, I have a global conversation about what First Timoth- Second Timothy 3 means, about what John 5 means. And I can hear from African voices and Asian voices and European voices and South American voices, all of those, I can hear all those folks, and I can listen to them, and you can listen to them, and we can talk together, and collectively, we can make a better decision, I believe, about what God is preparing for us to do than if we just listen to a handful of white European guys who've been dead a long time. And yet, it's freaking us out, because we've learned to trust the perspectives of white European guys who've been dead a long time, and praise God, they did a lot of good work, and they've helped a lot. But we're in a global conversation now. So at minimum, those folks have to be in conversation with all the other voices that we have access to that they didn't have access to at that time. And I can almost guarantee you, if they did, they would have incorporated their thinking into their work. So hey, we don't have to freak out because there are more perspectives. What we have to do is be more diligent about having conversations about what texts mean to us Trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to guide us as a group to find out what it is that God, how it is that God wants us to find life in Jesus Christ and how it is that God wants us to be equipped to do the work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. I feel so excited about the, the, um, the vision that Acts 2 gives us. So in Acts chapter 2, you get this vision of the Holy Spirit coming down on the new church community, and one of the first things the Holy Spirit does is give them ability to speak in lots of different languages because lots of different cultures were gathered in Jerusalem at that time, and they had to be able to say the gospel in multiple languages. So from the very beginning, the work of translation and interpretation are inherently part 
of the church's life. So we, we don't have to freak out about how those interpretations are going to happen. We have to get engaged in them. We have to trust that the Spirit's going to work through us. We have to do theology together as Mill City Church and then follow our convictions so we don't become a stinky pond, but instead become a light to a world that's waiting to see if the Bible read by Christians makes any difference to anybody else but those Christians. And that is the opportunity of Scripture. Let me invite the band to come back up. Here, I want to, I want to end with just a personal reflection on how I can tell a distinct difference in my own life. I don't know if you can. I've gone through seasons where I was so engaged in Scripture, I was reading it all the time, and it was really speaking to me. I've gone through seasons in my life where I didn't read the Bible for months. I can tell a distinct difference in my own life. I feel disconnected from God when I'm disconnected from Scripture. I feel disconnected from God when I'm disconnected to conversations with you all about what texts mean for us, not just for me and how I apply it to my life, but what they mean for us. I feel energized when we're together listening to God's word and saying, maybe this means we're supposed to try this in Northeast Minneapolis, in Robbinsdale, in St. Louis Park, in South Minneapolis. I am off the charts excited when people who are called to be Christians say, here's what we think God might be saying to us, let's try it. That is fun. And it feels adventurous. It's the opposite of the stinky pond. I believe the Bible has so much to say to us. Our lives, are, our lives are changing constantly, which means we have to be listening constantly and in conversation constantly to be doing theology and interpreting and, and trusting that the Holy Spirit's going to help us know what to do next. I don't want to come across this morning like if you have a question about the Bible, uh, something's wrong with you. I want to affirm Questions about the Bible are really important and you ought to pursue them and I hope you feel safe enough to say them in this church. I also hope you want the answer to your question so that we can all grow from your questions because I guarantee someone else is asking them as well. Help us make Mill City a safe place to say what we're thinking, okay? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We only have a limited capacity to understand things. And so we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you just give us insight. Uh, give us insight into what Scripture means for us now in the 21st century. Give us passion. For those of us who have been away from your word for a while, give us some motivation. that We don't even know where it comes from to open the Bible this week and start reading in one of the Gospels or one of Paul's letters or one of the Old Testament books. Just give us a passion to, to crack it open with the morning coffee. God, help us to be people who are committed to listening to Scripture together so that we can be people who love your community in the name of Jesus. We're grateful that you have taught us who you are. We pray, God, that even if we have questions, even if we're in the midst of doubts or uncertainty, we can still worship you and offer ourselves to you and ask you to help us in the midst of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.